We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance in this program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am your host. I am Vince Dadera. I am also the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. Looking good in that white polo, by the way. Thank you. Throw you a little prop action Appreciate there, it. Brian. Uh, today, we are going to continue uh, our talk on the Notre Dame coaches and why this is such a big year for them. Yesterday, we... We talked about the offensive side of the ball. So today we're going to jump over to the defensive side of the ball. And again, 
look, the defense has been, you know, has had the calling card for this team for the past, what, three seasons, Brian? I mean, yeah, I mean, they've the reason they've gone 33 and five the last three years. Absolutely. The, 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 the very main reason is the defense. And obviously there's a new coordinator in town. Marcus Freeman uh, is the, the new man in charge on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, there's been a couple of, uh, you know, title changes and things of that nature. We've got a new coach at the safety position. So a lot of kind of moving parts on the defensive side. And then again, a lot of the same old, same old on the defensive side. So uh, a big year for the Notre Dame defensive coaches for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the first year Notre Dame made a playoff run and you look at how good that defense was. And a lot of the key pieces from that defense are, are all gone now. I mean, right. you've got, you know, Kurt Heinisch, um, was was on that team obviously uh he was a good he's a good player you know Myra Tungvaloa Mosa missed most of that year he did play in the, the title game at Jason Adamiola were backups but as far as like the guys that drove that ship I think all all 11 starters from that team are now gone um the defensive coordinator the architect of that defense is now gone so you know the, Notre Dame gets an opportunity to prove that they are a premier program because part of being a premier program Vince isn't just you know, you have a stretch of two or three years. It's being able to do it over a period of time. Absolutely, you know, yes. you can you can get that veteran team or that group of that one recruiting class that can carry you for a few years, and and then you kind of fall off. I, I, it makes me think of like the the two thousand two two thousand three recruiting classes at Notre Dame that brought like Brady Quinn, Victor Abimira, Jeff Samarja, Mostoval, all those yeah. players. Well, when they were gone, the team just plummeted, and it and it took several years for them to and a new head coach for them to finally recover from that. Yeah, right. So it's about consistency and the best programs reload, right? Like you, you look at Clemson's national title team. They, they didn't really have anybody from that team on their 2020 team. And they're certainly not going to have really anybody from the, tw in, on the 2021 team from that group, you know, but that's what the best teams do. You know, there weren't a lot of guys on the 2017 Alabama title team that were also on the 2020 title team. There's a couple, but not many. Uh, so can they reload? And so even though there's confidence in the talent of the defense returning and the, the coaches, it's still a, still a show me business. And so that's really where a lot of the focus is on, on this is can they continue the strong play and potentially make it even better? Because there certainly is room for improvement on defense. Well, let's break it down, Brian. Uh, let's, let's take them one by one. And we'll, again, we'll start at the top. Uh, of the defensive triangle of responsibility uh, with Marcus Freeman. He's the new defensive coordinator. He's the new kid on the block. He's the guy that's going to come in and, um, you know, try to adapt to what he wants to do with the personnel that's already on the roster, which, by the way, I don't th think he'll have an issue doing, uh, but that is his charge. That is what he is supposed to do. He needs to take this defense at the very, 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 very least, make them as good as they were last year, but hopefully take them to that next step. There are several challenges for Marcus Freeman uh, as a first-year coordinator, and it has nothing to do with his scheme or X's and O's or anything like that. Part of the challenge of being a new coach is establishing a connection with the players because one of the things that benefited Notre Dame the last couple of seasons was the players had supreme confidence in Clark Lee to put them in position to be successful. That's such a big part of being a a successful coach or coordinator is when I say something, you got to believe me. You got to trust me. You got to you got to have just as much confidence in in me as I have in you as you know as a player. Yeah, yeah. And and Notre Dame had that, and and you get to the point where it's like I don't care what coach calls. You know, he's calling it for a reason. My job is to go execute. And, and when that happens, as you know, Vince, 
you can maybe make a call that isn't great or isn't ideal, but your players execute it because they just play so hard, play so fast, play so smart, and they're so disciplined. And so, you know, Marcus Freeman starting from scratch in yeah. that part of it. You know, I mean, you can talk about, you know, there's going to be able to trans, you know, you'd mentioned can he translate what he does on defense to the personnel? I have zero doubt about right. that. Me too. I'm more concerned with that that emotional connection, that trust connection, that ability to to figure out what makes this player tick, what makes that player tick. You know, what are the specific strengths of this guy compared to this guy? How do I alter my defense? Uh, but all of that comes down to a level of trust that must be established in both ways. Yeah. You have to trust your players. They have to earn your trust as a coach just as much as you have to earn their trust. Um, uh, you know, and so that's kind of the big question for Marcus Freeman. I'm confident he's going to get that done at a high level. It's not about, is he going to do it or not? It's just, we need to see it though. And you never really know until you see it. And so that's the big thing. And then the other part of this is going to be making that transition while also identifying the aspects of your football program that have to get better. And so when you evaluate the defense, and this can be a benefit to having a new coach because he's going to have to watch all the film again just to get used to the personnel. Yeah, yeah. Which then affords him the opportunity to say, boy, you know, they really had a hard time defending mobile quarterbacks, right? As I'm watching the film, I'm noticing that mobile quarterbacks gave them some problems, right? Or, um, the boy, they really had a hard time finishing off at the quarterback, which we saw in the Alabama game. I mean, there were some times early in the game where, boy, they had great pressures, great blitzes called. Everybody's coming through, running through. And then Mac Jones, who's not exactly the most mobile quarterback in the world, would kind of spin out and and make a play. So it's like, you want to, how do we clean that kind of stuff up sure. to where instead of this being a first and 10 completion, I mean, this was the, the one I'm thinking of was, I believe on the first or second series of the game, I I'm pretty sure it was a first and 10 or a second down when drew white comes just free. And there was two or three guys that just came free up the middle. Mac Jones spins outside and throws the ball to the tight end for a seven or eight, six or seven, eight yard gain. And they end up moving the chains. Well, well what if that blitz hits home? And now all of a sudden it's second and 19. You got a good chance of getting off the field. And instead of Big it being 14 nothing or 21 nothing, it's seven nothing and you're getting the ball back. So, you know, how do you clean that stuff up? And, and so that is the challenge for Marcus Freeman is Notre Dame can't just continue being as good as they've been on defense. Ideally, you'd like to get better. And that doesn't mean monumental changes. It just means some tweaks here, some tweaks yeah, there, yeah, areas yeah. that can be the difference between us being able to make that one or two stops per game against the best teams to allow us to to, to win these football games. And so that's the challenge in front of Coach Freeman. Then, of course, there's the recruiting challenge of, number one, finish doing well in this class. You know, there's a lot of excitement on the recruiting trail about Marcus Freeman and he's already had success. You've got Tyson Ford committed because of him, Aiden Gobera committed because of him. But can they maintain that through the course of this entire class? Well, and it, and it's interesting because I just want to clarify, he's kind of coming in as the closer with a lot of those guys. A lot of the groundwork has already been laid. A lot right. of it, right? right. Well, it. Like with Tyson Ford, to your point, Tyson yes. Ford liked Notre Dame. Notre Dame was in his top four. Exactly. They were probably second for him. And Mike Elson had done a phenomenal job getting Absolutely. Notre Dame to that point. And to your point, that's you know you kind of put it over the t- over the top. Notre Dame was number two with Aiden Gabera. Mike Elson had laid a great frown, you know gra- uh, framework 
to then Marcus Green come in and close. And that's kind of what you're referring to. That's what I was referring to. So so now moving forward, it's going to be on him to help lay that groundwork and also close. And on top of that, to get your head coach to help close too. So, I mean, there's, it's kind of multi-layered and things of that nature, but I, I like, I want to see how he does as a member of that foundation lane group, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's going to be, that's going to be in the 23 class and, 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 and some of that. Well, even, even the 2022 class at one of the things I wrote about at hours breakdown recently was just how many top recruits they've offered since he arrived. So, you know, an example is junior Tuyalamaka, a California linebacker goes to Bishop Alamanian top 100 recruit, you know, really talented player, probably would be the best pure Mike that Notre Dame had signed since Manti Teo. Uh, game reminds me a lot of Manti, uh, you know, but but it's one of those things where he, if Notre Dame gets him, it's because Freeman came in, laid the groundwork, built on the foundation, Did the whole and thing, then, and yeah. then got it done. Yeah, uh, You know, guys like Jalen Sneed, Harold Perkins, Sean Murphy, uh, those are guys that Notre Dame wasn't really in on until he arrived. And so we'll see now in this class his ability to Good do point. that. And I can't forget so, class is still not going to get signed yeah. for another year. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of time between yeah. now and yeah. then. And and most of these kids haven't taken visits anywhere. Good so point. Good point. so that's another part of it. So I mean, we're he's got a tremendous opportunity. And and also to then your point, the 23 and 24. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's going to be determined by as much by the product you put on the field as anything. And so you've got to keep that momentum going. If, if Notre Dame takes a step back on defense this year for whatever reason, then you, you look at it and say, well, you know, yeah, really good guy, did great at Cincinnati, but he is, is he as good as he as he as people made him out to be as he's good as Clark Lee, it, it may be sure. unfair, but that's going to be that's sort of the, be the, the talking points. And that's no certainly doubt. what opposing coaches are, are going to say. About yeah. it. So if he can at least keep this thing going, then you can build on that recruiting momentum. If you make right. it even better, then, then, I mean, you're, you're going to be one of the, the biggest names in the business. No question. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
So I mentioned that there was some new faces on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll get to those guys in a little bit, uh, or that guy. Um, but there's an old face uh, on the defensive side of the ball that, thank goodness, he's still around. Don't you clarify that old comment? Well, you know, Mike okay. Elson doesn't live too far from us. So, um, <laughs> You're right about that. And he's a big dude. I don't want him showing up, being upset that uh, somebody called him old, and I'd probably get blamed for it. So uh, uh, That's fair. Your name's on the product. So, uh, yeah. no. Uh, I meant old as in tenure. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll say the most tenured face on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and that's Mike Elson. He's the defensive line coach. And now he will uh, resume his role as mm. the uh, the recruiting coordinator as of recently. So and also uh, he, will be the run game coordinator. Correct. On the, on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got three different hats to wear now uh, as a defensive coach. And so let's talk about Mike Elson, why this is a big year for him. And uh, I personally, it's a big year for him because of these new roles. I, I'm mm-hmm. very interested to see what his influence is on the run game from a defensive side of things uh, and how, you know, maybe that defensive line gets a little bit more involved in the run game and, and just just what that means. What is his fingerprint, you know, going to be on this run game defensively? And then, look, we know he can recruit. We know that Notre Dame was very successful when he was the recruiting coordinator. Personally, I am in no way worried about him being the the recruiting coordinator. I think it it keeps his focus on the field where he wants it. Um, I'm excited about it. I, I think it he's you know I think that recruiting office is going to take yet another step. Um, and so I, I think that that's a good thing that he's in charge of it again. Yeah, from a recruiting standpoint, at the very least, Notre Dame is just going to continue doing what they've done. Sure. From a recruiting standpoint, I think when you look at some of their better years in recruiting, I do think Mike Elson was involved in that from a recruiting coordinator standpoint and. You know, hopefully he'll be able to, to to build on their their recent success and and start bringing in more top level talents. And that, I, when I say top level, I don't necessarily mean it has to be a top fifty ranked recruit. There's plenty of guys that aren't ranked. I mean, Nolan sure. Ziegler is a guy that right now is not a top two fifty player, but that's the kind of dude you win championships with. I mean, the film to me tells a different story. Uh, Ryan Barnes is a three star recruit. That's the kind of guy you can win championships with. It's more about the talent. Sure. More so than the rankings. But sometimes those two things are going to go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you want to see that. But for me, the challenging thing for Mike Elston more than anything is is it's not so much a challenge from a like a difficulty standpoint or a concern standpoint, but just a challenge of one of the things that excites you as a football coach is when you have to kind of take a brand new group that's going to look a whole lot different than the one you had before and then no mold doubt. it. And I think no that's the, some of honestly, that can be some of the funnest parts yes. about being a coach is yes is like look you know we lost dalen hayes and julian okwara and khalid kareem and adi takumbo de ogandiji and jerry tillery and all these guys that were part of that rotation for so many years and were so successful they're all gone now so now it's about building that next wave and i think that's where your reputation as a coach really develops because let's mm-hmm. let's be honest and this is in, in no way a criticism of mike elson but the success he's had the last four years has been primarily built around the same players. That's fair. Over the last four years, Notre Dame's best defenders were some combination of Jerry Tillery, Julian Aquara, Dalen Hayes, Khalid Kareem, and Adi Takumbo Gandiji, right? And now they're all gone. All now you have some returners like Kurt Heinisch and Myron Tungvalo, but they're not the future high-level draft picks. You know, Kurt Heinisch is playing at his very best this year, and he was very good in 2020. He had more tackles for loss in 2020 than he had the first three years of his career combined. And he's always been a rotation player. He's never, it's not like he never played before. And this was sure. the year he came out. Yeah. But he's not going to be a first round pick. He's not he's Jerry. Just not. He's just not. He's a, he's a, he is a, a fantastic college 
football yeah. player and he knows his role and that right. and that you need look you need guys like that at every level you need guys like right. that at the high school level you need guys like that at the college level you can build championships off guys yeah. like that there is no question about it but the reality is he's not going to get his name called on the first day of the nfl right. draft it's just, he's it's just what not it is. that difference maker type right. of talent he's a guy you want you love it's no way of yes. criticism but he's not a difference maker in Correct. that regards in that like he's going to go out and have 10 sacks this year Right. Myron Tungvaloa is not that guy. At least he hasn't shown to be that guy. Both good football players, but they're a different right. type, of, type of veteran than you're used to building around, where in recent years you've been building around guys that, in my opinion, were high-level draft talent. You know, I mm -hmm. still believe, if not for injuries, Julian Akwara and Khalid Kareem, who were a third and fifth round pick respectively, would have been drafted even higher. Sure. And Khalid Kareem was drafted in the fifth round, early in the fifth round, and that was with an offseason in which he did nothing in, as far as draft prep because of the shoulder injury. He couldn't run. He couldn't lift. Right. He couldn't do anything except interviews. Well, you and I both know that Khalid Kareem probably would have impressed people enough to go up at least another round. And the same thing with Julian Aguara, who could do nothing. I mean, he couldn't test 40, no 40, none of that stuff because of the injury he suffered. And no measurables, year. yeah. So, you know, and then now Dalen Hayes and Adi Takumba Ogandiji. So, I mean, you had, like, to me, legit NFL players that you've built your defense around, and it's been mostly the same players. Well, your veterans now are not that high level of player. It's more of the, you know, can you take that next wave and develop them? Sure. And, and if you can turn Isaiah Foskey into a big-time player and and Jordan Batelho and Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills and those kind of guys, that's where you really make your – your bones as a as a coach on a on a national stage, and I think that's why Mike Elston, to me, still doesn't get the the respect he deserves nationally. I think Notre Dame fans have started to really appreciate the job he's done for the most part. I don't think nationally he gets as much love as a developer of defensive linemen because again, it's been mostly the same guys. Sure, and I think where you really make your bones is like I said when you do it with somebody else. So like. If Clemson would not have won a second title with Trevor Lawrence, then it it doesn't make Clemson seem as much of a premier program as much as it would have been like they got hot at that time, sort of like Florida State in 13 and 14. Florida State had like two really good years, and then before that and after that, they they weren't a legit yeah. program. So you don't put them on the level of Alabama, Ohio State, right. Clemson, teams that do it year after year. And so it's the same thing from an individual coach standpoint is, yeah, okay, you did well with those guys, but can you do that next group? Especially, yeah. I think the other thing that hurts them too is a lot of the guys that were successful weren't guys he recruited. Harry Heastan recruited Jerry Tillery. Keith Gilmore right, recruited – Right, Keith Gilmore primarily recruited Khalid Kareem and Dalen Hayes. The only guy he really recruited was Julian Aguara. So I think there's un, you know a lot of things that go into this that to me – this is where Mike Elston, if he can put another great defensive line on the field this year, his reputation nationally, I think, takes a big jump because it's a bunch of new faces that a lot sure. of people nationally haven't heard of. Notre Dame fans are fired up about Isaiah Foskey. I don't know how many national people know about Isaiah Foskey. Um, you know, uh, Notre Dame fans know about Jason Adamiola. I don't see him getting written about by any national writers about that next big time player at Notre Dame. So if he goes out there and puts a, another really good defensive line on the field, then all of a sudden he starts getting the credit that I think he deserves as a guy that's really done a good job developing defensive line. It's like every year, it's like this year, people are shocked that, I mean, I'm reading NFL analysts that are shocked that Dalen Hayes is really good. 
or that Hani Takumogadiji is really good. I'm even seeing Notre Dame fans surprised by that. Like, oh, he did really want the senior ball. I'm shocked by that. I'm like, because you're obsessed with sack numbers and yeah. you don't break down film the way a coach does, which is are you impacting the game in every single way possible? And sure. a lot of times it's not going to be that sexy, flashy sack thing. And so you're like, well, gee, where did that come from? You know, you're seeing Kareem, Aquara, Hayes, Ogundiji, all these guys. Only one of those guys was considered a big time recruit, and he wasn't even recruited to play line, off a defensive line. He was recruited to play linebacker. Right, right. So that took some some coaching, and uh, and I think if you can now do it with Foskey and Batoho and Adam Yola and Mills and all those guys, sure. Now, all of a sudden, your reputation takes off. And so I think that's what's what makes this a big year for Mike Elston is I think he could really start getting some respect. And then that helps his reputation from the standpoint of now maybe he becomes a more coveted coach when it comes to maybe some head coaching opportunities that I think ultimately he wouldn't like to do. And, and uh, you know, and I'm not saying like at you know, Michigan when, when, you know, Jim Harbaugh's gone, but, you know, opportunities that maybe might be attractive to him. Because ultimately, it, that's what you want in a, for your for your assistants is you want them to to reach the pinnacle of, of their goals and objectives. Of course. And, um, you know, if Mike Elson stays here as long as Brian Kelly does, I'm not going to complain about that. But if he gets that head coaching opportunity, then then I know for him and his family, that would be something that'd be tremendous. But it's going to take him really dominating this year from a coaching standpoint to really put himself on the level of respect that I think he deserves. So that's to me what makes it a big year for him. And, and honestly, Vince, you know, what I, what makes me nervous when I'm, when I'm talking about a a team is when you say, when you use the word if a lot, right? Because more often than not, all the ifs don't hit, right? You're going to miss. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. But the higher – and there's a lot of ifs about the defensive line this year. If Myron Tungvaloa gets used to sure. playing strong side, if Jason Adam Miola lives up to his potential, if Riley Mills is ready to take have a sophomore surge, if Isaiah Foskey is as good as we think he is, if Jordan Patelho can kind of take that jump and be a really dynamic rotation player, all these ifs are, are involved in the success of the defensive line. I will say this, however. If at least four of those five ifs <laughs> – that's a lot. Um, it's, a big, you know, it's a pretty big hit rate yeah, there, pal. <laughs> if that happens, this defensive line could, to me, be even better than it was the last couple of years. Uh, right. I agree. Because I think it'll be deeper. I think it'll be deeper. And that's, that's well, saying – well, I, I, not, I shouldn't say no, deeper. Deep, no, I think deeper is a correct word. Okay. It's, it's more of a – it to me, it's not so much the depth aspect of it that changes it. It's this group has more playmaking potential okay. than what we've seen in past years. You know, So you're almost combining sort of the – the playmaking you had from Atillery with more dynamic edge playmaking ability, yeah, especially at Viper. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Is I think we could see the you. interior players making even more plays, and even Jerry Tillery in 2018, 2018, as good as he was, he wasn't a great playmaker against the run. He was more of a great pass rusher. I think this group could be more. I think there's two types of of tackle for loss. What you know, so you look at like a guy like Jerry Tillery, right? Okay. And he had that all American season in 2018. And you look at it and you say, okay, that was a heck of a year. You know, a defensive tackle that had, you know, uh, let's see, 10 and a half tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. And I believe he had eight sacks that year, if I remember correctly, eight sacks that year, right? So okay. that's really good production and got him a, got him a, you know, some all American nominations. Well, for me, I'd rather have a Sheldon Day type of defensive tackle. 
you know, Sheldon Day in 2015 had 15 and a half tackles for loss. He only had four sacks. That means the vast majority of his plays behind the line were against the run. And run game, so, yes. Right. And so, to me, I'd prefer that type of season from an interior player than what we saw from Tillery. And, again, what Tillery did was really good. It's just give me the great run def- you know, the run plugger, the guy that can make plays behind the line. Give me a Sheldon Day compared to Jerry Tillery. And to me, that's what I think this interior has a chance to be is more of those type of plays. And those are the type of plays I prefer because a lot of times those sacks come in third down or a, a long down situation where, you know, it, it's it's a drive stopper. But it, it, to me, I really like the run, the run stuff because a lot of that stuff happens in early downs. And then right. that leads to sure. the sack opportunities. And so uh, that to me also – then makes the linebackers a lot more effective because you have to worry so much about not letting the interior defenders make an impact against the run, and now that lets the linebackers flow. So that's what I want to see this year. Is I want to see more production from the interior of the defensive line against the run. Okay. And if they and if Elson can get them to do that, and I think it's it's possible, that's where I think you could see a big jump as far as just overall production to this line, and that's the. That's the challenge, in my opinion, that awaits Mike Elson this season. So let's move outside. Let, let's talk Let's talk cornerback uh, position, Brian, because, look, we were both excited when Mike Mickens was brought onto the staff last year. And I think, for me, uh, his pairing back up with Marcus Freeman is even more exciting uh, as far as what Mike Mickens' uh, role on this defense is and, and how – and how he relates to what what is going to happen defensively. We I, I like him as a recruiter. I think I think there's some a, a step that he could take still uh, on the recruiting trail. But I think he's done a pretty darn good job up to this point. Uh, but I'm really interested to see because he's going to have you talk about a ball of clay, right? He's got a bunch of balls of clay that we don't we haven't seen on the field at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. We've seen him on film. We know what we think they can do. There there there's those ifs again, right? Um, but if that group it does what we think it can do. It can be a really, really good group. It's going to be a young group, but there's a bunch of talent there, and I think that fits right into the wheelhouse of what Mike Mickens, what Mike Mickens does. I think from a recruiting standpoint, I'm I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, and okay. that's what people want. Like they want us to disagree more, so well, this is a go. chance for us to disagree a little bit. I, for me, I would agree with you if the focus is on recruiting rankings. And, and so, yes, if you're, you know, they didn't land any highly ranked guys in this last year's cornerback class. But if you sign Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley type players every year at Notre Dame, I am thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you're going to have outstanding cornerback play. Uh, so, so I loved the class they had. And if they can bring in a class like that every year, um, I'm, I'm an excited guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love Joe, Joe Johnson and, and Chance Tucker's, a, I think, a guy that's, like I said before, I think it's going to make me look bad here moving forward. But I love what he did at recruiting, especially when you consider he made zero in-school visits and he had zero official visits to work with. Uh, you know, so I, I think he did an excellent job. But to your point, I think it's ex- I think what's exciting to me is is obviously the the most obvious thing is the Marcus Freeman pairing. Yes, and the fact that these two work not only worked together, but these two went to the same high school and they were only a few years apart. Marcus Freeman was just slightly older than Mike Mickens, so there was going to be some some turnover. So these are guys that have a long connection. There's a level of trust there. Marcus Freeman does not take the job at Notre Dame if he doesn't 
have respect for Mike. You know, I don't want to work with that guy again. Yeah, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. No way. No, that's definitely a piece of the puzzle. No question. Right. Yeah. And so I think that pairing is good. I think that that allows the defense to make an even faster transition on the back end because you have a coach in the secondary that already knows absolutely the the what the defensive coordinator wants. He doesn't have to learn. Well, what do you want here? What kind of technique do you would you like to use? He already knows right, they can exactly. hit the ground hit the ground running together. And so I think that is really really important. And I think that that I'm also excited to see with Mike Mickens this year. The challenge is, you know, I thought he did such a good job last year when you consider Nick McLeod's limitations as a player to get the kind of production that he got from him. And Nick McLeod was a much better player at Notre Dame than he was at NC I State. I agree. And he was a good player at NC State, but he was a really good player. And and he got that out of a guy that I don't think is necessarily a great t- physical talent. Uh, and, I, and I think that not that the NFL draft is the end-all be-all, but I think we're going to see around NFL draft time kind of what teams think of a guy like Nick McLeod. So from a, just a physical talent standpoint, but he was a really darn good football player for Notre Dame this year. I agree. You know, you 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 have Tariq Bracey who sort of has that meltdown, and then you get a freshman Cla- Clarence Lewis who nobody thought was going to be. You know, not many <laughs> people thought could play as a freshman at Notre Dame. Well, I, I think of all the, of the freshmen that were on the roster, I don't know that people would have thought Clarence Lewis would be the one to play. Is that fair? I I did. Okay, I, I well, wrote about that, but most didn't. I think most would have yeah. looked at Ramon Henderson and the yes. speed that he had right. and all that kind of stuff. But no, I, I agree with your point. I. <laughs> I'm just saying. That was like, great. I was like, wait, what? I, I did. <laughs> um, just because he's such a smart, heady player, yeah, and we saw yeah. that. And and he even in the games where he struggled, like the Alabama game, he played with confidence. It was, you know, and and you have to like that. Part of that is just that's who Clarence Lewis is. But the other part of it is, I think Mike Mickens did a, did a great job. So I think he was really working with a, I mean, a, a, not a full deck. And I think what yeah. I mean by that is not having a spring last year killed the secondary more than any other position yeah we've talked about it yeah. at safety have not having houston griffith back there kj wallace not getting that extra spring of work cam hart especially not getting that spring of work i would be curious to see what ramon henderson could have done with a full spring under his belt because he's such a, a raw athlete the athleticism is there the length is there and but you know now you get all that you get ryan barnes and philip Riley on campus as early enrollees mm-hmm so, you know, to me, that's going to be so huge for Mike Mickens because now the players have more knowledge of him, more comfort level of him, yeah, more trust point. in him. And now he has more of a knowledge of them. What makes this guy tick? What makes that guy tick? Uh, what this guy can do, what this guy can't do. Right. And now you bring in a scheme that is going to fit what he likes, which is more press, more man, those kind of things. Look. The Notre Dame coaching staff had to do a lot of protecting the secondary or the corners this past year. They had to protect them a lot. I've talked to you know ACC coaches that would say that like they did a great job protecting the corners, and part of that is on Mike Mickens because you got to find what they're good at and sure. make sure that they do that at a very high level. And they did that, and then him and Clark Lee were able to come up with ways to protect them so they weren't left on too many islands. Well, I'm I'm very interested to see what happens this year with Marcus Freeman's defense because now I, I realize it's not a one-to-one ratio it's not he's not going to do exactly what he did at Cincinnati but his corners did a lot of man-to-man a oh, yeah. lot of press coverage and a lot of guys on islands mm-hmm. and so I'm not saying these guys can't do it 
but that puts a little bit of extra pressure on Mike Mickens, right? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you got to get those guys ready to play. You got to find who can play. You got to coach them up and get them ready to play. And that's what I'm that's what I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. uh, come out of the spring is how quickly are, are you able to get Cam Hart going? Yeah. You know, or are you able to get Ramon Henderson going? Can you help Clarence Lewis take that next step? What can you do with Ryan Barnes? I'm going to talk about Ryan Barnes here in a little bit. Um, actually, you know what? Let's do it now. Oh. Let's do it now. Okay. So when you look at the 2021 recruiting class, okay. I think it's a very it's an underrated class in some areas because there's players that I think were were not respected enough from a recruiting standpoint. And, and and Ryan Barnes to me is at the very top of that list. When you think of when you think of what you want in a cornerback position or how you evaluate cornerbacks, you know, there's as a high school player, there's yeah. There's the first thing that people look at. People are obsessed with recruiting rankings. What was his ranking? Well, Ryan Barnes was a three-star recruit, right? right? Not going to really blow anybody away. Not a guy you're going to look at and say, oh, geez, look at, the, look at those rankings. You know, he's a great player. And then the other way to look at it, and this is from people who don't aren't like necessarily film breakdown people, the other way to look at it is, you know, what was his offer list? Well, here's who, here's who Ryan Barnes was offered by last year. Obviously, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida. This is a kid in Maryland. Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Oklahoma, Oregon, and USC are among his, and Penn State are among his many, many offers. So you got to ask yourself, why the disconnect? What's What's the disconnect here? Well, one kid didn't go to a lot of camps, didn't do a lot of those tournaments and things like that, and that's going to impact his ranking. Yeah. You know, Clemson was making a push for Ryan Barnes. Clemson doesn't go after average corners, right? I mean, they're going after the best of the best. Sure, because they can. Yeah, this to he to me was the biggest sleeper in this class for Notre Dame, and he is the kid to me that could, if he's as good as I think he is, and as good as some of the people I've talked to at Notre Dame think he is, this is a kid that people are going to view as the steal of the of the class and and biggest sleeper in the class and. And you look at a guy that rivals ranked as the 60th best cornerback in the country, the 19th best player in the state of Maryland. And I just kind of chuckle at those, you know, and, and I say, boy, I have a feeling this kid is going to is going to boom because as good as Clarence Lewis was, with all due respect, Ryan Barnes is a much better high school football player and didn't get a chance to prove it as a senior because Maryland didn't allow a fall season. Gotcha. Now he's an early enrollee, something I don't believe Clarence Lewis had the had the obviously he even if he was on campus last spring, he wouldn't have had that opportunity because they didn't have a spring outside of one practice. The fact that Ryan Barnes gets that opportunity now, I think is going to be a huge boost for him. And here's the other part of this. Mike Mickens has has done a phenomenal job in the past with guys exactly like uh, exactly like Ryan Barnes, and we saw it with Clarence Lewis this year. Clarence Lewis is a is six foot tall, but he's a long six feet bench. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go back to Bowling Green in 2014. He had a true freshman named Nick Johnson that he developed to an All Mac player as a true freshman. Then in 2019, he gets Ahmed Gardner, who's a three star kid from from I think the Detroit area that didn't have a Michigan offer, didn't have those big offers. Goes to Cincinnati, and he's a true fresh. As he's a He's a freshman All-American as a true freshman. Another 6'2 kid, long arms, not the fastest guy in the world, but Mike Mickens was able to coach him up quickly and get him ready to play. 
You look at what he did with Nick McLeod last year. Nick McLeod, 6'1", long arms, not a great athlete. And, and he was able to turn him into a, an all-ACC caliber corner. I think he was honorable mention all-ACC player last year in a year where there's a lot of good corners in the ACC. And then you look at what he did with Clarence Lewis. And now you take a guy like Ryan Barnes that, to me, athletically is better than all those guys. You know, and, and he's 6'2", and he's smooth, and he's fluid. Uh, you watch his coverage skills. He's got natural ball skills. He's got great feet. He's this kind of kid where you look at and you're saying, I can't figure out what they're not seeing that I'm seeing or vice versa. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that just happens where you watch a kid and you're like, what are they missing? And and sometimes, you know, you get it wrong and, and those people were right. And sometimes you, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm feel confident on this one. I'm as confident as I could be that Ryan Barnes is going to far outplay his recruiting rankings. And the fact that there's a need at the position right now, the fact that he's an early enrollee, the fact yep. that it's a new secondary co- or a new defensive coach, and and Mike Mickens hasn't exactly been at Notre Dame long enough to have like this three-year bond with this one kid he wants to you know play because he loves the kid and all that. So it's going to be the best guys are going to play. Sure. Sure. I'm really curious to see what kind of move and push Ryan Barnes can make this spring. Now he's going to have to mentally do it. He's going to have to be focused and locked in and he's going to have to sure. you know be mature and go to class and go to workouts and do all those kind of things and buy in. But if he does all that, and I'm not saying he won't. I don't know. I mean, yeah, everything right. I've heard about Brian Barnes, he's a he's a great kid. I'm just saying like that's part of for any freshman yeah, that's right. part of it. I have a feeling he could end up by the end of next year. I will not be shocked. If by the as as we're heading into the 2021 season, we're all talking about how Ryan Barnes is their best corner. I won't be shocked at all. He to me, he is that good. And that's why I think he is a sleeper. But the biggest thing is, Vince, he is the he is like the epitome of what Mike Mickens has looked for and thrived with at corner. I mean, that's what you look for. Like, what does this guy do a good job? Some some coaches are better with like big backs, some like scat backs, some like you know, this type of player. When you just look at Mike Mickens' track record. Right. This is exactly the kind of kid he's had tremendous success with in the past. And I just think that Ryan Barnes also has the talent to where he's, to me, the biggest sleeper in this class. So if you were to ask me who who of the non-highly ranked kids would, is, is the biggest sleeper in the class, you know, Ryan Barnes is my overall class pick, and he's certainly my pick on defense, is a guy that is we're going to look back and, and look at his consensus ranking and say, yeah, they missed on that one. They missed on that one pretty big. And so, yeah, that's the. So, I think now's a good time to talk about that as we're talking about Mike Mickens because I think part of that success is you got to go to a school that has a coach that knows how to use your specific skill set. Absolutely. That's the most key thing. If I have a son who's getting recruited and, you know, after I've talked to a bunch of coaches, I've done a bunch of research or whatever, I want my kid to go to a place. That he's going to flourish with that coach. That that's got to be one of the one of the one of the top things. Uh, because look, school is important. Obviously, the education is important. But when we're talking about just football alone, I want a kid who's gonna. I want a coach who's gonna develop my kid. And you have to have a proven track record of it, right? Absolutely. Well, here, here's a great example. So I remember when mm-hmm. Alize Mack was getting recruited and at the time. He was Alize Jones and. Right. He talked about one of the reasons he committed to Notre Dame and, and didn't go to UCLA, which is where he was committed to at the time. Yep, and he said, yep. basically, it came down to this. I went to Notre Dame, and they showed me a bunch of film of how they use their tight ends and how I fit into their their system. 
I went to UCLA and they had to go on a chalkboard and talk about how they're going to use me because they'd never really had anyone do what I do. And, and at the end of the day, that's kind of what it, they know how to use me. They've proven they yeah. know how to use me. This staff doesn't. And so Makes I think sense. that's a big part of it is going. And that's why, you know, so well, why do these DBs keep going to Ohio State? Because Ohio State has proven yes. that they can turn talented defensive backs into the high first NFL round draft picks. picks yeah, right? exactly. And so it's that proven success at my position. Right. You know, no, no offensive lineman is going to pick Ohio State because Kerry Coombs does a great job developing DBs. Right. It's because, you know, this coach can do that. Notre Dame gets a gets great offensive lineman year after year, not because Mike Elson's a good defensive line coach or because they produce, you know, receivers. It's because of what they produce at that position. Sure, absolutely. And so you develop that kind of track record of, hey, this school really knows how to use this type of player well. And right. I think that's what Mike Mickens has done, and that's going to impact Ryan Barnes. And it's why I think, you know, when, when Mike Mickens first got hired, that's why he was one of the first guys that they targeted. And they said, we got to get that guy. And, and I think the extra part of it for Notre Dame fans is this is a kid who kind of grew up as a Notre Dame fan, too. I mean, his dad was a Notre Dame fan. He sent me a picture early in his recruitment of him on campus several years ago when he was visiting with his dad and his brother just because, you know, they just wanted to be on campus because his dad's kind of Notre Dame fan. So I think that adds to the storyline, but that yeah. has nothing to do with why I think he's going to yeah. be a heck of a player. It just makes for a cooler story. You know, right, absolutely. You mean he's not going to be a better is, player because he came to Notre Dame one yeah, day? He's got that what? shamrock. You know, he's Gosh. got that extra leprechaun. Uh, I should you be know, an NFL player. Yeah. So, but <laughs> he—he's a guy that, to me, Vince, at the end of the day, I have a feeling is going to be is going to be one of the biggest steals of this entire entire co- in the country. One of the biggest sleepers in the entire country, and certainly, certainly, the best sleeper in uh, in the class for Notre Dame. Let's talk about the true NKOTB here, Brian. And if you're a boy of the eighty, if you're if you're a man of the eighties, you know that's a new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, you did. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, Chris O'Leary is is by far the new kid on the block. Uh, even though Marcus Freeman is also coming in new to the staff, uh, Chris O'Leary, this is his first Division One coaching job mm-hmm. uh as far as a full-time as, as a full-time positional coach um and so th- there's a lot of question marks when it comes to chris o'leary I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on him and why this is a big season for him i mean he's joining a staff who has a proven track record and and chris o'leary has no division one track record at this point and so we're kind of you know really digging deep into his past to try to figure out, okay, what do, what kind of coach do we think he can be? And and maybe more importantly, what kind of recruiter can Chris O'Leary be? And those are the kind of the big question marks coming in. Yeah. Because there's nothing but question marks. Right. I, I mean, look, it's like with anything, it's, it's, it's fine that you're a really good analyst <clears throat> or you're a really good sure. graduate assistant, but there's a whole different level of pressure on you when you're the guy. And yeah. it's the same thing. Like, I've talked about this a quarterback. I've seen in the NFL my entire life, I've seen mistake after mistake after mistake of NFL teams throwing a lot of money at some backup quarterback who came off the bench for two, three, four games, uh, sometimes even almost a full season like uh, like Matt Castle back in the day. And you're like, hey, there's a reason this guy was a backup quarterback. Rarely do you see a backup quarterback who wasn't drafted to be the heir apparent. I'm not talking about like an Aaron Rodgers who was drafted to be 
the heir apparent. And so, yes, he was a backup quarterback. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about those backup quarterbacks that signed free agent deals with other teams. And, you know, I think like of Scott Mitchell when Nick he, you Foles. know, the line. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like when the Lions signed um, Scott Mitchell, Nick Foles. I mean, we've Matt Castle. We've seen it time and again where they throw all this money, this backup quarterback, and they're like, wow, I can't believe he's not better than this. Like, <laughs> there's no pressure on a backup quarterback to come off right. the bench for three games. Like, right. There's no pressure on him. It's completely different than being the guy. And so, to me, that applies here with, with Chris O'Leary is we don't know how he's going to perform now that he is the guy, now that there is pressure on him. If a, if an analyst, you know, there's just a different level of pressure. It and, is. And yeah. we don't need to dive too much into what, you know, examples, but it's just a different level of pressure. So this is going to be an opportunity for him to show that he can handle it. And and there's a different level of pressure. But, I mean, he's been a full-time position coach before, but look, you know, I, I coached Division One AA, and I can assure you that the level of pressure on me at Duquesne would have been a whole lot different than it would have been had I been the receivers coach at Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, and so uh, it's just different. It's new, and we're going to find out if he has the chops for it. I don't know a thing about Chris O'Leary specifically, like meaning having observed him, having spoken to him. Yeah. I've done none of those things. All I can do is rely on the opinions of people that I know and trust who have some experiences with him. And so far, everything I've heard about him is is great. I mean, there's there's reasons to be excited about it. You know, hard worker, grinder, relates well to the kids, commands respect, which is, as you know, Vince, is the hardest thing to do. Especially as a age. young coach, yeah. when you're barely three, four, five years older than a lot of these guys is to yep. command their respect. It's easy to be cool. Hey, we listen to the same music. We like the same movies. We think the same girls are hot, whatever the case may be. It's easy to become like that. You know, I've used like the friend zone as a coach, right? Yeah, right. But you, the hardest thing to do for a young coach is to to still have that to a degree, but then also to command respect. And 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 trust me, that's a, I've been there. That's a challenge. And so for Chris O'Leary, one of the, the things that that was one of the first things I was curious to hear about, and I never asked about it because I wanted to see what people said organically, you know, just naturally in their opinion. And every time I heard that, it was it was he's well respected. I kept hearing the word respected, not liked. Like I heard about, you know, Notre Dame made a, a hire recently. where well, Everybody on the team likes him. Oh, I don't care if anybody likes him. I, I don't. I don't care if players like a coach or not. I care yeah. the players respect the coach. Absolutely. And so what I kept hearing, the word that kept being used without me asking about it with Chris O'Leary was respect over and over again. The players respect him. They, you know, they, they, they really respect his work ethic. They respect his this. They respect his that. Yeah. And the fact that people were telling me that instead of like was important for me. It was huge for me. And it may not seem like it may seem like a semantic thing to to, to people listening, but for me as a coach. That is the most important word I got to hear. Yeah. If you and I talk about a coach for five minutes and the word respect never comes up in regards to his relationship with the players, then it tells me, I don't know if this is a guy that's going to be able to get it done at a high level. Mm -hmm. With Chris O'Leary, that word kept coming up over and over again. And that's so important. And that makes me think there's hope that he's going to make a, a fast transition because, you know, it's, it's different than the conversation about Tommy Reese. Because when when I was not pleased that Tommy Reese was hired as the as the offense coordinator, to me, being a coordinator or a head coach requires a level of experience that cannot be replicated with talent or intelligence. You you don't know how to handle certain situations until you've experienced handling that situation. Right. 
for me, it's a little different as an assistant coach. Cause I think as an assistant coach, if you have the chops, you have the chops. And so that's why I think you can see a coach go from one double A to division one as a, as an assistant and thrive because there are certain things that transition regardless of level. Yeah. And, and so to me, it's a lot easier for a young guy like Chris O'Leary to step in and make a really fast transition as a position coach than it is for a guy like Tommy Reese to make that transition as a young guy, as a coordinator. Yeah, yeah. Because in a lot of ways, as an assistant coach, Marcus Freeman's telling Chris O'Leary what to do. Sure. Here's our practice plan for today. Here's the drills that we're going to be working on. Right. Um, here's the emphasis of what we're doing this week. Go do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? As opposed to a coordinator has to be the one to determine what the yeah. practice plan is going to be, what our focus is going to be. It's a big difference. On. It's a big difference. Right. So that's why I think that 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 my my stance on the Chris O'Leary hire is going to be different because I never had an issue with Tommy Reese being hired as a quarterbacks coach. I I, I praise that move. I thought yeah. it was a good move. I think Tommy Reese is a potential star coach in the making. It's but it's just as a coordinator, it's a different animal. Yeah. And, and so you know that's what you need to you you need to think about it. But I think everything I've heard about Chris O'Leary is is positive. But now he's got to do it. Now he's got to show it because. That's one of the, the the thing. I guess if there was a concern that I have, Vince, it's a young, unproven coach stepping into a position with a lot of unproven players. Right outside of Kyle Hamilton, there's not a single proven player at safety. Yeah, you're right. We've talked a lot about Houston Griffith and his talent and and how important he is to the defense, but he's got to prove it. Yeah, right. And and after him, it's like I, I don't know what else is there. <clears throat> So now you're throwing a first-year coach into that. And I don't mean first-year coach, meaning like first-year at Notre Dame. I mean, you're talking about a first-year Division One position coach. At Division One, yeah. Right. And so that's a lot of pressure on him. It's not like, you know, like if you'd have, if you'd have thrown a, a young offense or young cornerbacks coach, you know, in, into Notre Dame in 2018 when he's got Julian Love and Troy Pride as veterans, you say, ah, you know, you can make that transition. You got some dudes that know what they're doing. Just, right. just leave them alone and, <laughs> right. and don't screw them up, you know. Right. But now exactly. it's like you got to develop guys. Yeah. And so uh, it's certainly a lot of pressure on Chris O'Leary. And how well he makes that transition is going to is going to have a big say in how good this defense is going to be. Because what if it, if he struggles, Mike Mickens can help, can take over. You can have Mike Marcus Freeman. But then now you're taking those guys away from their duties and responsibilities. And so, yes, it may help overcome safety, but does it hurt you at other positions? And so that's why it's important for Chris O'Leary to, to, to make the fast transition to command that respect and then hit the ground running because I'd say probably more than any other position coach, his position has the most approved this year. Him and Mike Mickens, their positions have the most approved, but I would argue that that Chris O'Leary plays a position that's even more important because if your corners struggle, you can protect them with the safeties. With the safeties if the safeties yeah. protect, per, you know, struggle – the only thing you know that can protect them is the is the goal line is the end zone. That's right. right. I was just gonna say <laughs> so, that. Yeah, and the, the the field judge, the back judge, isn't gonna be helping you right, out swatting down right, balls. So. Right. So <laughs> um, that's a it's a difference. And so if if you're struggling at both, yeah, you're just not gonna be a good defense. Yeah. And so the talent is there for Chris O'Leary. It's just it's a very small margin for error on the depth chart. You know, you you can't afford that. You know, to me, I don't know if there is a Clarence Lewis at safety that can step in if Houston Griffith gets hurt or or doesn't pan out. You know, um, there just isn't, in my opinion. And so he's he's he doesn't have the 
to me the depth of talent that Mike Mickens has to choose from to work yeah. with either. He's he's there's a big to me a big talent difference between the first two guys and the the other veterans coming back. Now there's some good freshmen coming in, mm-hmm. but I don't know if if Kerry G and Justin Walters are a guy you ideally want playing as freshmen at safety. Um, but if they have to, you know, you make it work. But to Go me, to there is no Cam Hart at say at safety. There is no Ramon Henderson and 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 Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley a and of talent just sitting yeah. there waiting. They're unproven, but they're just sitting there waiting. Right. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's the case of safety after Houston Griffin and Kyle Hamilton. So yeah. um, it only adds to his pressure. So yeah. I'll say this: if 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 the Notre Dame safeties play well this year, Chris O'Leary is going to quickly become a big name in in amongst young coaches and because that's just the nature of being at Notre Dame and the other part to obviously Vince is recruiting because not only is he thrust into a situation where he's got to prove it on the field this is a huge year for Notre Dame yes yeah I mean just look at the depth chart yeah big year no doubt about it so uh that's the other piece of it is okay can he can he do that and then hit the ground running and recruiting because at Notre Dame you have to have both you can't afford at Notre Dame to have a coach who can only recruit can't coach or a guy that can only coach but can't recruit at Notre right. Dame probably more than any big time program you need all 10 of your assistant coaches to be able to recruit and coach at a high level because of the because you're a nationwide recruiting right I mean worldwide if you if you count you know well, Alexander Ehrensberger but like you have more ground to cover right. it, this isn't like the 10 coaches at Cincinnati that are really only covering the Midwest mm-hmm. right I mean that's easier you can you can hey you sit this one out you know what i mean right. you can do some of that but when you've got so much territory to cover and the pool is smaller yeah i mean and that's the other thing is if you could cover the entire country and you can get anybody with a pulse in the school then it's pretty easy to recruit at notre sure. dame sure look good point I, I, recruiting in notre dame the admissions is not as tough as people make it out to be brian kelly Correct. sets arbitrary standards in my opinion from things i've been told about who they will and won't take for different reasons so you know your pool is smaller it, it is. That's okay. It, it was smaller under Lou Holtz, but are you able to get those best of the best from that smaller pool is, is the key here. And then the other part of it too is Vince is when you look at recruiting at Notre Dame, Notre Dame can't just run kids out of the program. I mean, it, people say, well, well, why can't Notre Dame bring in 25 kids a year? Because they can't chase kids off like SEC schools who are, right. I believe, still working under one-year scholarship agreements. Yep. Notre Dame, when a kid comes to Notre Dame, he's on a four-year scholarship. And the only thing that can get him off the program is he chooses to leave or he does a significant rules violation. They can't chase you out of the program just because you're not good. Because you're not talented. Yeah, right. Right. Or you didn't pan out, you know. Right. And and so it, you you your margin for error when you make a mistake as a recruiter is is much smaller because you can't just you can't just choose to gray shirt a guy or say, "Hey, look, we're not. You're not. You're gonna have to transfer because we're not honoring your scholarship next year." Right. And so, not how it you, works. Right. So again, you you got to be good at both, yeah. and then you got to develop those players. So we're gonna find out right away. You know, Chris O'Leary, like you kind of like Tommy Reese stepped into the O coordinator situation at the right time. You had a three year starter quarterback. You had all these veteran offensive linemen. You had all these veteran players. Chris O'Leary's being thrown into the deep end. You know, with, with with no flotation device and and no weights doubt. tied around his ankles. You know, because it's like <laughs> it's like all right, good luck, buddy. But <sighs> oh, if he's able to, to to make it through and thrive, yeah, 
you know, number one, it's going to look great for Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman for taking a chance on this kid that, that, I mean, I'm like, Kerry Cooks is right there. Why not hire Kerry Cooks? That's who I would have hired, you know, from what I know. And I think Kerry Cooks would have done a great job, but they went with a young, unproven guy. So if it works, boy, what a genius you are. If it doesn't, no kidding, you're an idiot. Like, why would you not hire a more proven? Co- I mean, that's just the nature of how these things go. Right? <laughs> no, I love it. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, why would you hire a 13 year old to coach your safeties? You know, it's like, oh, what are man. you doing here? But if it works, it makes you look like you're wicked smart and you know what you're doing. Right. And hopefully Notre, for Notre Dame, it works. And like I Me said, too. for everything I've heard about Chris O'Leary's great things, but now he's got to prove it. He's got to prove that he can do it as the guy. Right. And, and, um, yeah. So, I mean, we, I don't know if we'll learn a whole lot through the spring. I, doubt I think it. we're going to have a, a good idea when we enter November, you know, what kind of job Chris O'Leary is doing, just not only just from a coaching standpoint, but also a recruiting standpoint. Now, Brian, there's one final coach that I do want to bring up. Uh, and we, we could call it the black sheep of the family. Um, we can't talk about him on the offensive one because he doesn't coach a position. We can't talk about him right. on the defensive one because he doesn't coach a position. Right. So, and we're not doing a whole show just no. about him. <laughs> right. So we're gonna because there's there's less coaches that than in the offensive one. We put them on the defensive one. And more defensive players tend to play special teams. That's a good point. Okay. There you go. So there's a logical uh, addition there. So we're gonna talk about Brian Polian, and he also has uh, a a stripped off title. He's no longer the the recruiting coordinator. Obviously, he is the associate head coach. Uh, and he is also the special teams coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both believe, and we talked about this when they made the changes, that this is probably a good change for Brian Pullian. We know his aspirations are to be a head coach, and that is not a secret. Um, and uh, I, I forgot when I was when I was introduced in this segment, I wanted to refer to him as as Brian Kelly's best hype man. Oh, uh, goodness gracious. But I, I, I forgot, uh, so I had to get that in there. But uh, the the show that he put on during National Signing Day, man, that's an impressive spin, man. He cemented he himself flawlessly. He did too. And yeah. listen, that's a compliment. Okay, I want people kind to of. understand. Yeah. I'm complimenting him. Yeah, because it is not easy to go I'm not, up and say I'm not some complimenting. Of those <laughs> I I would be complimenting him if I was Brian Kelly, but as yes. Brian Driscoll, I'm not complimenting. Uh, he did by giving him yeah. a raise. He so. did what he was supposed to do. That is absolutely correct. For so, his boss. Right, right. So it was, that was A-plus spin, uh, my friend. So uh, he he was rewarded. Uh, he is now the associate head coach. He is still the recruiting coordinator, and I'm sure that there's a couple extra zeros in no, his bank he, account He's now. still the special teams coordinator. He's not is that what I said? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, met, I misspoke. Yes. Okay. He's the special teams coordinator. I do that all the time. <laughs> Man, unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, so let's talk about why this is a big year for Brian Polian. Um, and, uh, yeah, big year for Brian Pullen. Go. Well, number one, I, I don't think Brian Pullen's done as good of a job recruiting as people say that he has. I mean, he's gotten a Hawaii, you know, he's got a couple of Hawaii kids and he's had a role there, but you know, he, he, to me, hasn't had the impact that he, that he had this first go around. And, and the big reason for that is, is cause he doesn't have Charlie Weiss, the, the, you know, the first go around. And, uh, you know, so I, I think he needs to, he needs to do a little bit better job recruiting. I think he needs to adapt more of the uh, of the group philosophy, but also he needs to do a better job on the West Coast. Right now, Notre Dame is not doing a good enough job with the top prospects on the West Coast. You know, and they're getting good players, right? And they're getting good clarify. players and um and and things like that, but they're not getting the top top level players like they got before with like Manti Teo and Sierra Wood and guys like that. 
And so to me, that that needs to, he needs to do a better job there, but more so special teams wise. First of all, I think it's poor staff management to have a special teams coordinator that only coaches special teams. Uh, I I just think that is a a misuse of of that extra position, right? And, which they just added recently, right? I think it was after 2017 because remember that first year that he was hired, Tommy Reese was technically a graduate assistant, correct? Even though he was the quarterbacks coach, he was technically a graduate assistant, right? Now he was not treated in any way, shape, form, or fashion like a graduate assistant, but correct. that's just kind of how what they had to do because they knew the rule was going to go effect the next year, right? It more so impacted Tommy Reese's bank account more than anything else. Because... Hey, man, if you don't think there was some <laughs> under-the-table action going yeah, on. Yeah, but there's only so much under-the-table you can action you can do for a graduate assistant. Um, you know, but... Uh, he but still had from, his fa- from a had practic- family dinners. Practic- he was okay. Yes, true. From a practicality standpoint, um, he was a full-time coach. Right. But now right. <clears throat> you have this special teams coach who only coaches special teams. And I just... I think do that's other poor programs you. do that? Let me ask you that. Do not you, many. You, okay. Not many. Most teams have a special teams coordinator, but it will be a guy who also coaches a position. You know. Gotcha. So um, now again, he may not be known as a great position coach, but you know, it may be something where a guy coaches tight ends or he coaches the Rovers or something like that, where you so, know you have him very do specific, yeah. where he can help. You know, like even at worst. You hire a spec like so. For example, let's just hypothetically let's say Brian Polian got the head coaching job at, at Buffalo next year. Lance Leopold gets a Power Five job. Brian uh, Brian Polian takes over at Buffalo, right? And that'd be great for him. And Notre Dame decides to hire Nick Lazinski as a special teams coordinator and linebackers coach. Well, we know Marcus Freeman's going to help with the linebackers because that's kind of his thing. But it would be great to have an actual full time coach be in charge of that, so Marcus Freeman can you know coordinate the defense. Um, that to me would be much better use of that extra position. Cause right now yeah. you look at it, Notre Dame has the D line coach, the corners coach, the safeties coach, and the defensive coordinator. That's four full-time coaches. Offensively, you have five and then you have the special teams coordinator, right? I'd rather them hire a second O line coach. And that's not a knock on Jeff Quinn, but you're seeing a lot more teams kind of have like a, an outside, a tackles, an tight inside, ends coach yeah. and right. You know, and some teams have like a slot receivers coach and sure. an outside receiver. Okay. I mean, I think you can either do that or preferably a fifth coach on the defense, especially since the head coach is, you know, pretty much so an offensive guy. You got really got it's really a six four split. Right. Honestly. And so when you consider Brian Kelly and so six four me, one. it just yeah, it just it seems like not the greatest use. Yeah. But here's the thing about it. If you're gonna have a special teams coordinator only, he better have phenomenal special teams right and we at, we were talked about this on on sports beat a week or so ago when i was on with you guys and we the the, the question was phrased it's kind of like the notre dame special teams have been bad mm-hmm. and i think part of that is because most people when they think special teams they think what they, they think, think return re- game they think return game and Absolutely. they think the kicking operation well john the door was very inconsistent this year and Notre Dame, for what you know, for whatever reasons, mostly probably analytics, doesn't kick a lot of field goals. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you go book, Justin Yoon was an incredibly accurate field goal kicker. He just never kicked many field goals. And so, um, you know, I think when you when you look at that, and then you look at the return operation, it, it's they're they're mediocre, right? For the most part, their coverage unit though phenomenal is really really outstanding. Good. It is and, really and, and that's good. why I say it's. It's unfair to say they're bad on special teams because 
you can't be bad when you're as good as Notre Dame has been in coverage. Right. And that's you, important. It's very important. I mean, right. And it's a part of why the defense has been good. And, and my point that I made on the show was look, when 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 you have a good defense and you're forcing the other team to go 80 plus yards every time they touch the ball, you're 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 really good. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I asked on the show, I said, well, when was the last time you remember Notre Dame giving up a long kick return. And it was, I mean, you had to go back to 2018 against Pitt, right? When they had that kick return for a touchdown. You know, Notre Dame's opponents averaged 18 yards per kick return last year. You know, that that was, that ranked 24th. But here's the thing. Some of the teams that ranked ahead of them played four games, seven games, five yeah. games, eight games, six games, nine games, six games, eight games, six games. You, you know what I mean? Like, right. A lot, lot smaller sample size. Yeah. Where those numbers are inflated. Yeah. The Notre Dame had almost the same number the year before and they ranked 18th. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they've been really good in coverage the last couple of years. And I, and, I, and that's important because it, it aids the defense. It makes your defense better. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and we saw the same thing in, in punt returns. They were 20th this year in punt returns. They gave up an average of 3.7 yards per punt return. And again, the top six teams in the country played eight games, four games, five games, seven games, three games, six games, right? Uh, amongst the teams that played uh, m- 10 or more games, their name was 12th in, in punt returns allowed, you know? So, I mean, those things to me are, are really important numbers. And the year before, Notre Dame was 15th in punt return yards allowed at 3.9 yards allowed. So, Brian Pulling gets a great deal of credit for that. And and, and that's he, great. I right. mean, three point nine yards. Basically, if a guy catches the ball and falls forward, he's gonna get three yards. I mean it means like, your net punting average is gonna yeah. be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, no doubt. And, and so and I think Jay Bramlett's been an underrated kicker, and I think he's gonna to me emerge as one of the better punters in the country in 2021. So to me, it's a thing where that part of the game is good, and that you you have really talented linebackers, really talented safeties, and I think the depth chart at those two positions in corner this year, the numbers at those positions are really good, especially linebacker and corner. And you've got a couple of receivers like Xavier Watts, for example, that I think could be a really good special teams cover player that I'd like to see get a shot over there as well. So I expect the coverage units to be really good. And usually when the coverage units have made mistakes, it's more because the kicker didn't kick it where it's supposed to go yeah. than it was the coverage unit. Um, <laughs> Hate it when that happens. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, so that part of the deal is good. But but the return game to me is is a problem, and it has to get better. And when you have athletes like Notre Dame has, in my opinion, I'm sorry, when you have a guy like Chris Tyree back there returning kicks, when you have – you know, uh, you, some of the some Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Lawrence Key, some of the athletes that Notre Dame is going to have this year to potentially return kicks and punts. There's no excuse for me not to be better returning. Yes. And and where Notre Dame has been poor, uh, not just like not good, but I I would argue poor. Yeah, the last couple of years has been in the return game. Yes, and and that to me has got to get better. And and the problem is. I think it's, abs- it's a philosophy too, though. Right. Like they don't even want to be better. Is what it, doesn't it feels seem like. like it, no. You know what I mean? No, like it doesn't seem like it. in the in the uh, in the semifinal when when um, Tyree fumbled that ball, there was no way he was being allowed to return the ball the rest of the game. Right. And, and you're telling me that if he pops one off, that doesn't change the tide of that game early on. Yeah. I mean, you at least have to give yourself the opportunity. And the fact that they're not even putting somebody who has any ability to run to catch punts just tells me they don't right. have any desire to return punts. They right. just, they want the ball that, right. that, that is where they put 
their emphasis. They want the ball. And right. I guess if I had more faith in the offensive philosophy, then okay, give that offense the ball. At the moment, I don't. And so right. you need that third uh, that third aspect, that punt return. You need that to help you get some yards to help your offense mm-hmm. because I'm not convinced the offense is going to score every time they got the ball. Right. So just possessing the ball isn't enough for me. Okay. Right. So I, I, they need to change their whole philosophy when it comes to the return game. Uh, putting Chris Tyree back on kick returns was a baby step in the right direction. But if you're not going to allow him to return any of the kicks, it doesn't right. matter that he's back there. Well, and and not the philosophy. That's true. I agree with everything you just said, Vince. But to me, also, it goes a little bit deeper than that. To where you have to have a like. Well, not, not, it doesn't go deeper than that to build on what you said because what you said was was right. What I'm saying is is the philosophy then will show itself by you being more creative with those things. But it fits the Brian Kelly philosophy meaning when you think about the Notre Dame offense what's the one thing that we we kind of criticize them for they don't take risks there's no right. there's no risk taking you know I, I'm working on an article now where where I, I hope to have it out over the next week where it's like yes you turnovers you don't want turnovers and you don't want to make not. turnovers seem like not a big deal but I remember people criticizing Deshaun Watson in 2016 because he turned the ball over some he had like 17 interceptions that year oh he, you can't win when you turn the ball over that much. Well, they won a flipping national championship that year. Because <laughs> if you eliminate the risk, then you also eliminate the reward that comes from him playing the game the way he played the game because he threw 51 freaking touchdowns that year. You know, And so to me, Notre Dame's has the same kick return philosophy that they have on offense, which is just don't screw it up. And that's yeah. not – you don't win championships by playing that way. You can play smart. You can you can have it to where you know yeah we don't want to turn the ball over but like Lawrence Keys has you know had the bad muff against Florida State right and it's like he was gone never saw it again right Chris Tyree has that one bad return which was his fumble but also the coverage unit was bad and and it was then it's like well we're not gonna do that again yeah why you're playing a team that's better than you they're better than you you have the, one of the most explosive players in the country back there returning kicks. You know, if if you if you're gonna if they're gonna pin you inside the 15 anyway, then how about they pin you when you're trying to do something interesting? You know, you set up a different return. You know, you you, you have a philosophy. It's like with anything, you 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 can just set up basic returns that we yes. hope to get it past the 25, or you can say, hey, look, we're gonna do a little something different to maybe create some confusion. If it doesn't work, they're gonna pin us at the 20. But if it does work, this sucker could go. There's none of that aggressiveness when it comes to the to the right. return game, and right. and we don't see them taking advantage of the athleticism in the in the punt return game either to do things to try to allow their returners to be more effective. It's just kind of like just get it off and let them get it off, and, and and we'll get it. And if they make a bad kick, then sure we can return it and get some yards. But you know, to me, there's so many things that teams that win do to steal yards. Like yes, I'm not going to sit here and say that Notre Dame should have been as good as, as punt returning this year as Alabama was. Well, why do I say they shouldn't have been as good? Because Notre Dame doesn't have Devontae Smith. I mean, so I don't expect <laughs> Lawrence Keys else to average 21.6 yeah. punt return yards, you know, but, right. but look what they did with, with C.J. Sanders back in the day. I, I'm looking the numbers up now, Vince, and, and when they had this before Brian Polian, you know, but when Notre Dame had a willingness to kind of get after it in, in the return yeah. game – you know, they, they gave, they did a pretty, they, they got some returns. I mean, 2016, CJ Sanders had two kick returns for touchdowns. And if you remember, he had a third kick return that was called back. Remember that kick return for a touchdown against Michigan state? Yeah. They got called back because of a, to me, a, a shaky holding penalty. 
Um, he had another kick return the year before. That's in two years. He had three kick returns for touchdowns, and he also had a punt return for a touchdown, and they blocked a punt for a touchdown against USC in 2015. So in a two-year span, Notre Dame generated five special teams touchdowns, right? And to me, stealing yards is so important, and we yes. kind of started to get into this. And, and, and you can do that on offense by running RPOs, the screen game. There's things where, hey, if you want to play this, we're going to steal six, seven yards on first down, right? It doesn't have to always be – He's like, oh, you know, Notre Dame shouldn't run RPOs because they don't have explosive playmakers. Fine. Then they're not going to turn an RPO into an 80-yard touchdown. I don't care. Then give me the seven-yard gain on first and 10 because you pulled him through a quick out or a hitch as opposed to the minus one-yard gain or the plus two-yard gain you'd have by handing the ball off to a nine-man box. It, it doesn't have to be Devontae Smith you have or you don't run RPOs at all. There is a middle ground that you still should have and execute that says we can – you want to load the box and play off with your corners or play up with your corners. There's things we can do with the personnel we do have, even if I accept the premise Notre Dame doesn't have more talent at receiver. There are things you can do to steal six, seven, eight yards here and here and there that kind of force teams to spread out. Same thing with the return game. There are things you can do with your pump block operation that can maybe allow you to steal seven or eight yards on a return. It doesn't have to be you've got Ricky Waters and Rocket Ismail back there or you don't do it at all, right? It's the same concept. It, there's right. a middle ground here. And if you don't think you have dynamic returners, then there's some other things you can do from a pump block situation that you can force teams to, hey, look, we got to spend a little bit more time protecting than we normally do because they've got all these athletic linebackers, safeties, and receivers just flying at us trying to block the kick. So if we just do a free release, because what's happened in recent years, Vince, we'll do a little X's and O's here. This putting the three linemen back or the three big guys back has changed everything. It used to be on punt return where you'd have sort of, you know, your five linemen, you'd have the two wings, you have the two outside guys, right? So that's nine. Then you'd have the personal protector and then the punter. And so when you did that, everybody in that first level had to had to first block. I remember my freshman year, I was part of the coverage teams and the kick return teams, and it was you had to hold that sucker for three seconds before you, you could release. Thump. You got to hear the thump. Right. The only two guys that took off right away were the outside gunners, right? Well, now because of that, the three big boys back there and the way the teams have changed their punting operation, you can now send more guys just go at the snap, just go. And so that's partly why punt returns in general are a little harder to do. Well, the best teams, in my opinion, are the ones that are now saying, well, let's find the weaknesses in that and let's do some things to attack that that force them to kind of hold more at the front. If you can force teams that are used to just shooting guys to say, hey, we got to spend two extra seconds making sure we're blocking all these guys. Right then that is how you then set up punt return opportunities. And so that's an area where Notre Dame does have the personnel to be more effective. So even if you don't have a great punt returner, you have a lot of athleticism at linebacker. You have a lot of athleticism and length at corner. You have a lot of athleticism at, at receiver. And the guys at receiver are guys that play defense. Put Jordan Johnson on a punt block. If he doesn't know right. the route tree, put him on the edge of a punt block and say, go flip and block the punt, you know what I mean? <laughs> or Xavier Watts, right? Like, you know, use them in some way uh, because you have talented players. So if you don't have that athleticism in the return game, you do have athleticism enough to then say, let's be aggressive attacking. 
which can then allow Matt Salario to field a punt and gain nine, ten yards occasionally. That, that would still be more, way that's more than still, they're doing now. Right, and that's stealing yards. And so right. – That's a first down. Especially in the big game. So that's why I say, like, the, the return game – I'm tired of this whole thing. Well, we don't have this, so we just accept mediocrity. Well, I'm tired of that. So, no, I don't expect Notre Dame to have the second coming of Rocket Ismail at running back next year or in the return game next year. But so what? It can still and should still be better than it is. Right. And so you have too much athleticism at tight end. You have too much athleticism at linebacker. You have too much athleticism at corner and safety to not have better return units because it's not just about the return. And matter of fact, the returner, a lot of times doesn't matter who you have a returner. If you're not, if the other 10 dudes aren't doing a good job, I don't care who your returner is. Right. You have to be able to set up those returns. But part of that too is, are you scheming it up? Right. Right. And Notre Dame doesn't do that. And so you want to get to the point where after the first two or three games, you've done such a good job returning kicks that everybody's just saying, we're kicking it out of bounds. We're guaranteed to start at the 25 every time. You know, and then that can create some opportunities where maybe they kick it out of bounds because they're so afraid of kicking it to you that they're just not going to give you that chance. Fine. That's a win. So that's kind of where I'm at, Vince, is is this Brian Poley has got to get do a much better job at that. Especially as it's his only job. Hundred percent. That's exactly right. Because yeah. you don't it's like you have you can stay and you one can scheme, job. you can scheme that stuff all day long, baby. Dude, you got one job. And right? we've been to practice, okay? Right. You can scheme that stuff for 75% of practice right? because you're not doing anything at that right. point. The, 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 the kicking guys are off doing their own thing. He's not over there coaching guys how to kick the ball. Right. So he comes in when it's the special teams part of practice, which is a very minute, small part of practice, the part of practice that we usually get to see, frankly. Um, and so there's plenty of opportunity for him to go in there and figure out and scheme his way into a much better return unit no question right. and so hopefully we get to see that moving forward and i think when you have a special teams coordinator who doesn't coach a position the the expectation should be even higher it absolutely for what he does yes and 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 so that's kind of where i'm at is like dude if you can't really be good at the whole operation of special teams when that's all you do you know what what are we doing here yeah right so uh, to me, that's why I say it, it's a big year for him because there's there's no talent excuses. There's no there's no excuses like go get it done. You play a lot of mediocre teams, right? Um, go get it done. Coach them up. Be more creative. Be more aggressive. And it's not just on Brian Polian. Part of that's got to be on Brian Kelly to say, hey, look, just as an overall philosophy, what do we have to lose? Right? We yeah. keep getting our brains beat in by Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State, right? What do we got to lose? Yeah. What if you rip one off? You, you, you took a shot, a couple shots in the return game and offense, and it didn't work. So they beat you 41 to 10 instead of 31 to 10, you, 14. <laughs> you, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, right. who gives a crap? Take your shot, take your yeah. swing. I'd rather you get your brains beat in, but you went down swinging. Yep. Then to say, well, we played ball control, so we only lost by 17. Right. Instead and of that's what 37. We I don't but. give a crap about losing by You lost. Yeah. You're Notre Dame. Take your shot. And if you're not good enough, at the end of the day, hey, the other team was better than you. But take your shot. And and that's the thing is like, you know, Brian Kelly coaches to beat Pitt. He coaches to beat Navy. He coaches to beat Northwestern and Duke and those teams. He doesn't, he's not building the program to beat Alabama Clemson. Because if he did, he'd be doing things completely differently. You you can out talent all those teams, right? Yep. yep. Build to be able to say, hey, how do we take our shot against this team? And, and that's what I want to see him do. And special teams, to me, can be a big part of that because 
that's where you can steal yards. I mean, we've talked about that. Think of some of the game-changing special teams played we plays we've seen at Notre Dame in the past. You know, I mean, I, I think of the USC game, how big that block punt by Equinemi St. Brown. I believe Amir Carlisle recovered yep. it for a touchdown. Yep. Former USC. You know, yeah, yeah, I think of 2015 when Stanford took that opening drive right down the field, scored a touchdown, and what does C.J. Sanders do? Psh, takes it right back down the field. You know, going all the way back to the rocket, you know, breaking that kick return against Miami, how that just changed the complexity of that game. Because for all the talk about, well, we just can't beat Alabama. Well, you know what? Lou Holtz did beat that Alabama program. It was called the U. It was called Miami. Yeah, exactly. And Notre Dame beat Miami twice when Miami was doing then what Alabama's doing now. Yep. Right? And so, yeah, Notre Dame can and should do that. We shouldn't just, well, we just we, we lose to those teams. Okay, well, stop. You know? <laughs> Do something different to to try to give yourself a better shot to win those games. Because what you're doing now clearly isn't working. So maybe you can hope that that their starting quarterback and and one of their better receivers is out for the year and their starting quarterback has COVID and they're missing three to four best defenders every time you play them. Maybe you can hope for that. But outside of that, you know, you're not even competitive. But you should be more competitive. So take your shot, right? What do you have to lose? You're already losing to those teams anyway. Now you take your shot, and if you're still losing to them, nothing's changed. But at least yeah. now you can feel like, hey, we're, we're doing everything we can. And then if you're not good enough and you're just not good enough, and I tip my, tap my hat to you. But part of my frustration with Notre Dame, and I think we're going to do a podcast on this soon, Vince, because somebody brought this up to me, is, is what should the expectations be at Notre Dame? Should we just be happy that they're 33-5? and five And so what if they're not Bama or Clemson? I'm not, and we'll talk about that in greater detail. But to me, special teams is a big part of that. It'll be more aggressive. Steal those yards. That's where you can maybe get an opportunity to maybe change the game a little bit. So big year for Brian Polian, but I, at the end of the day, I don't put that all on Brian Polian because he's doing what his boss wants him to do. And that's just just field the punt. You know, don't fumble it. Just field it and, and call it a day. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast, breaking down the why this is such a big year for the defensive coaches at Notre Dame. Make sure you check out our uh, our previous podcast, uh, our previous video about why this is a big year for the offensive coaches, because we just put that one out yesterday. And so you can definitely go want to check that one out. And uh, you look we, like also, we also had mind. our first football 101 yes. video that I want you to check Which out. Which was amazing, yeah. by the way. And I that's going to be a series that we're going to do. And we're we're going to break down, and I say we, and probably going to be mostly Brian. <laughs> um, but he, he's going to break down the specifics about what we're talking about, the terminology that we use. What's a three technique? You know, what's a field corner? What's a boundary corner? What's a viper? What's a big end? And that's just on the defensive side of the ball. So that was um, part of today's podcast. Yes, it was. It's probably, or, right. I mean, video, I, excuse my me, head. video, which you can find on our YouTube channel. So it's just, we kind of talk about what the base defense looked like, showed yes. some clips from game, not like running clips, but just like, you know, uh, screenshots yeah. of, of the defense to kind of show who, who is what, and then explained it in, in a little bit more detail uh, in the video, it. but even more detail in the article on, on the website at irishbreakdown.com. Just kind of, okay, well, what, what does the big end do? Right. What does the three technique do? What is the mic supposed to do? And, what are and, you looking for there? And, yeah, and and when you say what are you looking for, like what kind of body types are you looking right. for, and, and all that stuff, I it help I you actually, understand why they yeah. recruit certain players. Like, oh, okay, now I understand why they why they recruit guys that are six five with really long arms. Or, I actually forwarded that video to the football coach at the school I work at. They run a four two five. Like, hey, show this to your kids because this gotcha. might help you a little bit. 
Uh, but no, it's really, really good, and I would highly suggest anybody go and take a look at that. It's only about 15 minutes just breaking down the defense overall and on this one, and uh, there's going to be a lot more after that. So make sure you check that out. Brian, I will uh, tip my cap to you, sir. <laughs> it's a good-looking uh, cap, almost. by the way. It is a very good-looking cap. So, um, so that's going to do it. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, hit that little bell right there because that will notify you when we – drop something new and of course check out irishbreakdown.com you can see it scrolling by down there so make sure you check that out as well uh but until next time irish fans that's brian i'm vince and we will talk to you then This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.